I am one of the original and necessary. Instead, this criminal podcast series on NBC ever wanted to know about the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Brought to you by the Summer Foundation. I'm your host, Dr. George Paul Forrest, and today I'll be joined by the new CEO of the NDIA, Rebecca Falkenham, to talk about her key priorities and how she plans to rebuild trust and much more. Check it out. Hi, Jack. Welcome to the show. Hi, George. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's really exciting to have you. How, how many days are you into the role of CEO now? Thanks, George. Um, I would like to begin, though, by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which I'm meeting today, the people of the Wadawurrung clan, and I pay my says to elders past, present and emerging. So this is week seven for me. I'm told that for every week that you work in the agency, it's like dog years. So I feel like I've been here a very long time. <laughs> Well, does it feel like that No, I've enjoyed every single day I've been here um, and I hope to enjoy every single day that I am here. So, um, no, uh, I, as I said, um, it's um, seven weeks has flown by um, and kind of it has been a whirlwind and I just feel such a huge sense of optimism about where we're going. So um, hopefully that will stand me in good stead. Yes, lots of optimism out there. Can you tell us a about your background. Where does it come from? Yeah, of course. So I've been a public servant for 20 years. I tell everyone I'm a nerd. Um, I'm deeply committed to public service. Um, uh, I've worked in every single social policy area um, there is. So I've worked in education. I've worked in um, uh, housing. I've worked in family violence. Um, I've worked with First Nations people. Um, I've worked in child protection. There's pretty much no area in social policy I haven't worked. And I've been lucky enough to work across the two biggest states in our country in both New South Wales and Victoria. Um, I've also worked as um, in the front line, I've worked in strategy, I've worked in policy. So I'm hoping that that um, enables me to make a whole lot of connections for this scheme um, and, and ensure that all of our colleagues right across the country are doing their part in ensuring the NDIs is the best it can be. Wow. Did you ever work in disability? Yes, in both New South Wales and in Victoria. That's how I got to know you, George. And I tell everyone that um, I've never been as prepared for meetings as when I knew I was going into meetings with you because you always ask the best questions and put the public service under the gun to make sure we were getting it right for people with disability. Yes, that's my job. <laughs> that that's is, good to know. You're very good. Glad to remember. <laughs> <laughs> and look, it's a pretty superlative um, taken on and it's hugely important to the disability community. Do you have any, apart from knowing me, of course, <laughs> do you have any other connections to the disability community? I do. Um, I grew up with um, family members with uh, disability. I don't talk about that often because that's their story to tell. Um, but I grew up with a deep sense of um, understanding from a human rights perspective um, uh, disability, disability policy. And that's why it was so important to me when I was in New South Wales. Um, 
to be able to be the first state to sign up to the NDIS um, was something that um, I was so fortunate to work with so many advocates, so many people with disability, so many um, really, really passionate um, politicians um, who wanted to make sure that the NDIS was um, part of our um, long-term future as a country. So um, I am personally driven. Um, I always tell people that it's um, a job that I hope to only be in for three years. I'm deeply committed to ensuring that a person with disability takes the role of CEO um, and I see it as incumbent upon me to make sure I'm building the executive talent into the future um, to make sure that there's lots of people putting their hands up for this role in three years time. Oh, I think that's very important and uh, you know ultimately you know, we do want to see a CEO uh, with a disability so that's, that's great that you feel that way. Uh, now I, I'm curious to know what what was the recruitment process like? So when you when you apply for the CEO, what did the silver add in that paper? You're like, oh yeah. Give that a go. <laughs> it's a good question. Um, and it, it's really important to kind of, you know, break down some of those barriers so people understand kind of, you know, how these processes work. So, um, uh, people might be aware that I was the Secretary of the Department of Justice and Community Safety um, in Victoria um, and I tell everyone that I love my job and I am very pa was very passionate about my job in justice um, but when um, the role came up as CEO for the NDIA I had a lot of people reach out to me and say um, they've just advertised the role um, you should throw your hat in the ring because um, uh, I had a lot of really fantastic um, champions um, who wanted to make sure that kind of um, that there was the most diverse um, uh, pool of candidates possible for the role. Um, I then got contacted by the firm NGS Global, who I'd never heard of before, um, who wanted to come and ask me some questions and to kind of give me a sense of um, what the government was looking for um, in terms of DSS, looking for in terms of the role. Um, and then I was asked whether I would formally apply. Um, this is this is very um, detailed, but um, I was asked um, whether I'd want to apply. I put in a written application. I then met with a very daunting panel of five people um, who asked me a series of questions. Um, they did a whole range of referee checks, and then kind of I got the call from the acting um, chair. Um, I remember on a Sunday afternoon, I was not expecting the call um, to offer me the role. So it was all quite daunting, um, but that's how it call all came about. Oh, five people on the panel. Yeah. Can you tell us it was on the panel? You're, you're going to test my memory now. The amazing <laughs> Leah Van Poppel was on the panel. Um, uh, the Secretary of DSS was on the panel. The Public Sector Commissioner was on the panel. Uh, NGS um, Consulting was on the panel. And I'm going to forget the fifth um, person. It will come to me. Um, uh, there was also an, another independent member on the panel. And then the... What, then you got the call, like, because it happened relatively quickly, didn't it? It, it did. I, I'm not sure whether it was um, for Commonwealth standards. I've never been a Commonwealth public servant, so I'm not sure whether it was slow or fast. Um, it seemed very fast to me. Um, but as we know, um, uh, in particular, um, with a, a new government, with a new chair, um, there was a desire to make sure that the leadership at the agency had, was being revitalised as well. And so I know that there was a lot of people that wanted to make sure that the CEO was in place as quickly as possible. 
Yes, and, and we've got uh, uh, several new members of the board. Um, you're a new CEO. Uh, are you looking at uh, shaking out some of the, the senior execs um, in terms of uh, renewal, or are you happy with the people that are working there now? So I, I think it's a mixture of both, George. I think there are a lot of people here who are very talented that kind of want to um, be part of the, the, the movement for change and for ensuring the schemes the best it possibly can be. Um, I also have a lot of people who are leaving the agency that have come to the end of their contract. So we're going out with a dedicated round with affirmative measures, which is very exciting to me. Um, so um, uh, hopefully um, we're going to get a really strong pull. Um, we've also gone out in terms of a focus on trying to attract First Nations leaders to our agency um, at the same time. So there's lots of opportunities for people who would like to come forward and be part of the agency. That's huge, Jack. Very exciting. Uh, I'm very excited that we've got that scoop on uh, visual necessary. Thank you for that. It is a scoop. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'd like to get a sense of, uh, of your uh, initial impressions of the agency and, and kind of what you've learned so far because, you know, we, we uh, hear a lot about the, the, the culture of the NBI. You know that the Minister has on the record and saying that there are some issues. What, what's your initial impressions? Um, yeah, it's a really good question. The, um, the thing I always remind myself every day in this role is that an agency that's relatively young, it has been through a lot of change and a lot of leadership change. It's had, um, I described it as three different waves of leadership models within the agency. Um, so some people have been here right from the start of the journey. Some people are relatively new. Um, and so what I do pick up is that there's absolutely a deep commitment from people to make positive change and I know there's a lot of people that are looking for um, clarity and for leadership and direction and I think that we definitely have that with obviously um, Minister Shorten being very clear about the reform agenda. We have an um, amazing chair, Kurt Fernley, who um, I know has been on your podcast previously um, and um, we're very, very clear about we are putting people with disability at the centre of this scheme and really importantly at the centre of the agency. So I know that there's been lots of tries at co-design and lots of tries at working quite differently, but um, my background is very much um, has at it, its core a deep commitment to putting people at the centre and um, that's what my intention is at the agency, um, that we will be doing proper co-design. I know co-design um, uh, has been, as a term, misused a little bit, um, but co-design for me is not about telling people what we're going to do and then ask for some consultation at the side. It's very much about getting the right people in the room and particularly people with disability in the room to make sure that we're agreeing on what it is we're trying to solve what it is whatever the challenge is whatever the opportunity is and working together for an outcome so that is my great desire for the agency you'll hear me speak a lot about transparency trust consistency and compassion and they're the values i want for our agency oh, oh, oh slow down slow down sorry sure <laughs> transparency trust yeah compassion Mm. and consistency are the values I want for our agency. 
Wow, I mean, they're, they're, they're really important. Um, and I, I agree with that. I think that um, you know, we need transparency and, and decision-making and consistency. And, you know, I think that the issue of trust, um, we know that, that uh, there's been... Uh, there's a need to rebuild trust. Um, and, and that's something that you're... But you're committed to doing, right? Absolutely, and um, I don't want it to just be words. I want it to be really meaningful. And um, my commitment is that when this agency gets something wrong, we are going to be transparent about getting it. We've got it wrong, and kind of learn from it and improve upon it for the future. Um, trust is not something that's going to happen overnight. I understand and acknowledge that um, but I think by um, working very differently listening and being able to respond very differently I'm hoping that we, we build trust in the agency longer term and consistency is very important what are you looking to do to improve consistency in decision making it's it's a really again a really good question and um, speaking to people um, uh, on the ground, be they participants, be they um, our workforce, be they um, our partners, it's really important to me that the agency provides consistency of support, whether that be in Darwin, whether that be in Longridge, whether it be in Hobart, that your plan will look very different because, as we know, um, a plan should be unique to um, the participants' individual circumstances, um, but the support and the decision-making you get from us in an agency should be consistent wherever you are. So we've got a lot of work to do on that, um, but I think it, you've got to look at the values together. So that's why transparency is so important. Um, and I know that um, listening to more people about consistency um, in terms of what people's own experience have been with the agency will be critical to getting that right. How do you uh, make something consistent and also responsive to individual needs? Because clearly that's the, the challenge, isn't it? It's, it's, it's one of the big conundrums, isn't it, about how you ensure that we don't have um, cookie-cutter plans, that we have plans that yeah. are unique to delivering on and achieving the goals um, individuals have within their plans, um, but making sure that, um, um, that the what we are deciding at, right across the country is consistent to the legislation, it's consistent to the rules, and that um, you, you don't get a different form of outcome um, based on that. So for me, investing in the training and the support of our own workforce is critical to getting that right. Yeah, and that training needs to include people with disabilities in, in, in terms of delivering some of that training, don't you think? Absolutely. Um, and, and also um, providing support and assistance to um, uh, people with disability in the planning process itself is what will help us get consistency. Now, one of the talk about culture, and you know, we we touched on that before, but I want to go a bit deeper. How, how would you describe the culture of the agency now? That's a really hard question. Um, culture overrides everything, um, and I think that when you consider there are over one hundred and fifty-three 
NDIS offices right across the country. I'd argue right now we have 153 different cultures. Um, and some of that's good because it actually tailors to the local community's needs and ensures that kind of there's a very local voice in the culture of one of our offices. But at a um, national level, um, I think that, as I said earlier, the, the fact that there's been so much change in such a short period of time for an agency um, has meant that there, there hasn't been a, a clear culture, a clear culture that is about putting people with disability at the centre of everything we do. Um, and I think that I like to focus on the future and in terms of kind of where I would like the agency to be um, by the end of kind of my three years. And I, I come back to um, all the um, values I was speaking about earlier. Let, let's send me to um, your initial priorities. Um, clearly you came into the role uh, thinking, oh, this is something that I, I want to do. You've talked about putting people with disabilities at the centre. Yeah. Uh, what, what are some of your, your most important priorities? I think it, it won't be a surprise to anyone that um, uh, the establishment of the NDIS review has been a priority for me in making sure that the agency is really responsive to the needs of the review, that we are not going to go into the review in any way defensively. We're going to have a really open mind as an agency. And for me, preparing the agency to be able to implement the outcomes and the recommendations of the review is really critically important. Um, other priorities have been uh, working on hospital discharge. Minister Shorten's been very clear about some of our, um, uh, I, I guess I could say, um, not great outcomes for um, people with disability in terms of being in, in hospital for far, far too long. So having a really strong focus around ensuring people with disability don't stay in hospital for a day longer than they need to be, that we are there as soon as people are um, in hospital, having a conversation about plans, having a conversation about exit, about ensuring that people um, with disability are given um, absolute the smoothest transition out of hospital possible has been a really big priority and we've made great inroads on that. Um, uh, we, we're already having kind of, you know, clear kind of, I think my latest, I'm just going to read off my latest stats that um, previously the average kind of waiting time was 160 days for people to be in hospital. We've now got that down to 39 days on average. So it's a big achievement and um, one that the team's worked really, really hard on. Um, other areas which won't surprise anyone is um, trying to remedy our appeals process and the huge number of um, cases we have on back in the AAT, which um, as someone who um, used to be in charge of the Justice Department in Victoria, it deeply worries me how we got to this point that we have so many cases in the AAT um, and such an adversarial um, approach to kind of how we ensure we can resolve these matters. So we're doing a lot of work. Um, we're doing a lot of work with the um, great Graham Inners around kind of how we look at all of our processes longer term. Um, we have been able to reduce by more than 2,000 over the last few months, the backlog at AAT. Um, but I caveat that by saying we've got a long way to go. Um, we need to improve our internal processes so we have better early um, triage to support people who um, might want to um, review 
you kind of um, are going to AAT, we, we need to be able to have a conversation about the right workforce to support our internal processes. And obviously, we're waiting for Graham's recommendations in relation to changes to um, the process longer term. So there have been some of our really big priorities. Um, getting around and talking to all the states and territories has been a really big priority as well. Um, I was also really lucky enough to sit on my, my first um, independent advisory committee, um, which will be so important. That former forum will be very, very important to me into the future in, in how we shape and mould the agency. Um, so um, I have definitely hit the ground running, um, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, I'm going to uh, go to a couple of those. So we've gone from 160 days, which is horrific. I don't know how we let that happen. Um, people stuck in hospital for 39 days. I know that this is better, but it's still not great. Um, I know that some foundation are calling on 10 days um, to reflect the, the time it takes to move someone into a nursing home. Uh, do you think that 10 days is I think as an average, it's absolutely achievable. I think there's always going to be much more complex cases that we need to work closely with the medical professionals in relation to kind of what safe medical discharge looks like. But what I'm committed to is on our side that there will be no delay, that the once someone is um, uh, medically available to be discharged, then um, we need to make sure everything had already been lined up and people can transition straight out. So um, we're working really closely. Um, uh, I'm really grateful to my colleagues in health right across the country and in the Commonwealth Department as, itself who are really committed. And um, it's been a long time since I've seen um, Commonwealth and states working really, really closely together to deliver on an outcome, which is um, going to um, absolutely um, be part of the way we operate into the future at the NDIA. No, that sounds like you're, you're on track, you're heading in the right direction on that one. And with the AAP, um, you're talking about an alternative uh, step, aren't you, before a person needs to go to the tribunal, uh, a way of resolving issues. Um, before that. Is that right? So, so Graham um, Innes has been asked to provide advice to the Disability Reform Council about um, what steps could be in place longer term. But right now we're piloting an independent review process that um, has seen um, really outstanding people be appointed as experts to work with both participants and the agency to come up with independent recommendations so that we can hopefully avoid issues ending up in the AAT. And we've had quite a number of decisions that have come through quite quickly. We've had, um, I think we're up to um, 14 recommendations at the moment. Um, the agency is starting from a perspective of always accepting the independent experts' advice, um, which to go to culture change, that's quite a culture change for us. Um, but in the short term as well, there's much more we can be doing to avoid through, going back to my values, the transparency and consistency in the initial decisions to stop people having to get onto the treadmill of independent review and AAT. Um, so we're doing a lot of work and Matt Swainson, who is our, um, our general counsel in the agency, he's only very new himself, is looking deeply forensically at everything we need to do to avoid people um, going to review stage. 
that's good. Hopefully that will make a difference. The sustainability of the scheme is all over the news. It's something that, that people are talking about, the, the cost of the NDIS. I believe it's an investment and that we should talk about NDIS as an investment. What, what's your perspective in terms of the, the, the this topic? And, you know, you're the CEO, so essentially you have sign-off on everyone's plans, so you can really have an impact here. What, what's your view on the sustainability issue? Great question. I'm with you that um, I will never, ever be someone that speaks about the NDIS from a deficit approach. I think that the outcomes this scheme will deliver for people with disability are extraordinary and we'll always want to be talking about the positive outcomes, be they economic, community-based, individual outcomes. Um, and so you'll see a lot more from us as an agency about getting out there and telling the rest of the community because I think that um, one of the things I've always been proud of is just how committed all Australians are to this scheme. And it's on, the onus is on the agency to make sure people are really aware of the fantastic things that the scheme can deliver and will and is delivering now for people with disabilities. So while financial sustainability is something that it's obviously important, that, um, uh, but I think that um, by putting people with disability at the centre of this scheme again, um, I'm not, I don't lose sleep about financial sustainability, can I tell you? Um, uh, I believe that the solutions and the long-term investment model will put us in good stead for um, getting the scheme to where it needs to be. So um, I hope we hear much more from the media about the really positive stories of the NDIS. Um, and also, um, as I said, the, the once we can get to a point of transparency and consistency, financial sustainability um, becomes a much easier conversation to be having with people. Yeah, absolutely right. What do you lose sleep over, Rebecca? I, the thing that I lose sleep over is being able to... Was it, was it this interview? Really, it was. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have told people, George, that um, uh, seven weeks in, I wasn't nervous about anything other than coming on to your um, podcast, and that includes Senate Estimates as well. So um, <laughs> that, that speaks to the esteem that I hold you in. Um, but the, what makes me lose sleep is not being able to deliver on the... Um, uh, absolute um, importance of putting people with disability at back at the centre of this scheme and delivering on the expectations that people with disability, families and carers have for this scheme. So I don't think it's a bad thing to lose sleep over. I think that um, I want to create an environment where we're continually learning as an agency, improving as an agency and being really open, as I said earlier, when we get things wrong, we should acknowledge we've got them wrong and listen more and respond more to what people at the centre of the scheme need. Yeah, that's, that's critical. Now, I have uh, a bit of a fun part of this uh, show where I uh, asked members of the NDIS Grassroots Facebook page, which is a very famous, active, vibrant community of NDIS participants, and I invite them to put forward some questions and then I pick the ones that are, have gotten the, the most reactions and responses. Yep. So I'm going to put them to you now and we'll do them one by one. The first one was, when will participants be given 
draft plans to check prior to the plans being finalised? It's a good starting question. Um, so I am absolutely committed to improving the planning process overall. What I won't do, though, is rush to changes. So um, going back to my um, value of transparency, I think it's critically important longer term that um, participants get much more control, much more visibility over the planning process um, and that we're able to have people have more human contact um, with the planners, with the delegates, um, with the um, person whose plan it is. Um, so that is my starting point. But I want to work with people with disability to make sure we can make that transition and make it well. I don't want us to have another false start as an agency and um, not have thought through in and really listen to kind of what we can achieve by making um, more changes to ensure more transparency. Yeah, we've been asking for that one for years. Um, and the benefit of seeing draft plan is that you get to have that conversation with the planner and say, oh, you see that bit? Can you uh, help me understand why that was uh, dealt with in that way? And... It can also prevent, uh, I guess, future complaints around or escalation of of uh, decisions. So it could even reduce the number of people that have to go to the IOT if they had a chance to have that conversation at the start. I couldn't agree with that more, and um, that's why I want to sit down with people and have the conversation in relation to kind of what opening up plans in a draft form looks like um, because we also need to do a lot of work right across the planning process about better training, better supports for people, for both participants and for um, planners and delegates. Um, but it doesn't make sense to me being, you know, old case manager kind of, you know, world me where we have a scheme where people are disempowered from being part of that conversation. It makes no sense to me at all. Um, and if we're true to putting people with disability at the centre of the scheme, you would think having a more iterative process around planning would make sense. So it won't be a surprise to you to, to hear me say that you're going to be hearing a lot more on this issue from me over the next six months. Excellent. Right, the next one is a bit about what we've spoken about in terms of the... AOT, and, and that question is, when will the actual costs of a person's disability requirements be funded without the need to go to war? It's um, uh, very, very quickly, if you, um, uh, if you um, know anything about kind of my leadership style, um, because um, it makes, again, it makes no sense. We are spending a lot of money in a very adversarial process that doesn't deliver better outcomes for anyone. Um, and so we are, as I said, looking at end-to-end -end participant journey um, into how we can make this process better, how we can ensure much earlier triage when things are not going well. Um, so we have more people that are more specialised to be able to provide assistance when things do reach that point. I know that the, I won't cut across the review because um, I know they'll have a lot to say in this space as well. But as I also said that um, 
I'm keen to make sure that we are improving every single day as an agency. Um, and I have heard so many stories um, of people that feel that they go into planning processes either really nervous, really trepidatious, um, uh, really worried that people's plans will be cut, really worried that people won't be heard. And that horrifies me. Um, I want people to go into their planning discussions um, filled with um, a sense of optimism, filled with a sense of that it's a conversation about goals and outcomes and kind of how we as an agency can better support people with disability into the future. Um, so we are committed to taking the adversarial going to war, so to speak, um, out of the um, culture of the agency. Um, and again, by talking to people with disability about their experience in this planning process is the best way we have to um, turn it around. Great. Now, the last one uh, is about the Rural Fund at Guidelines. Yeah. Uh, because why is it that your Rural Fund at Guidelines do not always align with the definition of reasonable and necessary as it's stated in the legislation? Again, an excellent question, and it was a good one because um, I didn't know enough until kind of um, the last seven weeks about what is ultimately or ultimately should be a guide for how we make decisions. And I don't want to lose sight of we want to be providing more materials and kind of, again, transparency and consistency. Um, but there is a um, disconnect um, between the two that I'm working with the team around at the moment in terms of how we make sure that um, people understand that when we're making decisions about reasonable and necessary, it's based on a range of different things that could include your disability support needs, your living arrangements, what a reasonable informal supports look like, that to, again, to go to the, the point, we need to be providing more guidance, not less, but we also need the guidance to be consistent with the legislation and with the rules. So um, it was a good, so thank you to your um, to everyone who put that question in because um, we'll be doing a very deep dive on that guidance. Excellent, and I'm looking forward to co-designing that. Yeah, absolutely. So, before we wrap up, I've got two more questions. Yeah. Do you think you made the right decision in taking this job? Every day. There's not been a day, I tell everyone this, there's not been a day where I've had any second thoughts. I am so deeply committed to ensuring we have the best agency and the best scheme. We never want to lose sight of this, this scheme and this agency is and should be world leading. I talk to people right across the world who are just blown away by the commitment and the intent of the NDIS and they're looking to us um, to provide them with a model for the future for people with disability right across the world. So I feel an obligation uh, to work with people with disability to make sure that we can show people how it's done. That is definitely what we need. So before we wrap up, are there any last words that you'd like to say to listeners from, from the CEO to the uh, participants on the ground? What, what words would you like to, to leave us with? Thank you, George, and thank you for having me again. Um, the words I'd like to leave everyone with is, is that um, I want this scheme to be the best it possibly can be, and I know that the Minister's deeply committed, I know Kurt's deeply committed, um, and I want us to be a really accessible agency. So um, please reach out when things aren't going the way they should be. Um, please feel you can talk to us as an agency. Please feel that you will be listened to as an agency, and we are committed to absolutely making the scheme the best 
best it possibly can be. So, and also um, my last plug for come and work in the agency because I know it might not feel it at the time, at, 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 at right now, but the agency is going to be the place to work in this country and we want people with disability at the centre of that. So um, for all of your wonderful um, listeners and people with disability, please come forward and be part of the agency to make change. Yes, get onto the, the application guys. Rebecca, you are a breath of fresh air. I'm so delighted to see uh, you as the CEO of the NBA. You're an incredibly warm and, and positive human being, and I wish you all the best in your next three years, uh, transforming the agency, rebuilding trust, and getting the NDIS to do what we all promised done 10 years ago now. Thank you for taking it up. Thanks, George. And I look forward to talking to you more over the next three years. Thanks for joining me, Rebecca. That's all we have time for on today's episode of Visual and Necessary. Thank you to our partner for this episode, the National Disability Insurance Agency. To be notified of future episodes, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the notification bell. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay well and reasonable.